Welcome to Contravariance, where we discuss this time copywriting, finding that code, and two fantastic projects that we picked. Enjoy listening. Today we want to talk about a topic that um, might not directly be related to Swift or to programming, um, but that is very dear to my heart and that I'm very interested in. Um, and that is the topic of copywriting and making sure that the text that you write um, has been taken great care of. So we usually write code. I always feel like copywriting is something you do for a website. So why, what do you mean by copywriting? I write code. Um, yeah, totally. Copywriting, I think, as far as I'm aware, is not uh, something that is done for code. Although maybe, you know, maybe that could be a thing. There's, there's a language called Shakespeare, where you write code in Shakespearean sentences. Or Arnold C. Mm. Um, no, but definitely I, I was talking and, and wanted to focus on documentation or books, right? So um, what sparkled this was a short conversation with a person that works, for example, with Objective-C.io and PSPDFKit um, and helps them to like improve the text that they use on their website or in the blog posts they write or... The books that they write and it this is a very intriguing topic to me because I really care about language and I really care about documentation I really care about text and I feel that I'm a person that also tries to do this like I'm by no means am I a professional there um, but it's something I really try to be aware of in my writing and also love to share with others right so you recently wrote some documentation Yeah, I did. And you did a very nice review of the documentation. Now, we have to mention this was internally for the company we work for. Um, and I'm kind of opposite of what you do. Basically, I, I tend, I like to write a lot, but I, I think I care less about the language. Also, English is obviously not my native language. Um, that, and I feel that's probably something that affects many developers that, um, when you're writing documentation or when you have to write documentation, it's much more tricky because your native language may not be English. So it's much more, much more difficult to express yourself. Um, and that obviously makes it kind of hard to, to specifically write very well written documentation because let's face it, um, technical copywriting, you have to be really good at the technical part and at the copywriting part. And to do, to be able to do that, um, at best you're a native speaker. Um, and you maybe even studied something related to language, like let's say English. Um, and you also have a very deep knowledge of, of the technical part. And that, that's a kind of tricky combination to have. I, I totally agree. I think it's um, like it sounds already like this kind of resume they are they ask for this kind of job opening where they ask you to be able to do everything. Right. And I've seen those from time to time. I've been asked actually by companies like, hey, can you take a look and help us uh, shape this uh, job opening for an IT position? And it's like they wanted everything. And it's like, yeah, maybe start with that. Right. So like it's a huge undertaking to do this this kind of technical writing and technical like reviewing of writing. Um, so totally. And same for me. I'm not English. Right. Like English is not my, my native language. At the same time, though, I think it's a great combination of 
power or of or of experiences where I often struggle writing things down and just getting it on paper. But I do really love and feel like I'm good at like doing the uh, the reviewing. So I think it's a really good combination of you writing something in this case and mm -hmm. me reviewing. Absolutely. I like that. It was like you found a lot of things that I would probably even on a second reading not have discovered on, on, on the table because I'm, I'm just not that good at finding these, these issues in text that I wrote on my own. But the, the question is kind of like if, you, if you're a developer and you would like to improve your technical writing, uh, that means, for example, and maybe we should briefly talk about this, what kind of technical writings there are. There's obviously the documentation for methods and functions in your code. That is technical writing, right? You wrote a new method and you'd like to document it. Maybe there's a specific case where the performance of the algorithm you implemented is not a one and you need to document that. So um, this is one possibility of technical writings. Which others are there? Uh, I mean, in, in this case, uh, this week you wrote some documentation uh, on a more generic level about a new API client that we wrote. Um, that isn't like header documentation, but just explains in detail, hey, what are the design decisions we made? Um, give some examples and some text around like why those examples need sometimes a bit more code than you might expect or um, like really going into detail of, hey, if you want to use this, sure, you can look at the code, um, but this documentation will give you, without looking at the code, Uh, directly uh, gives you a great overview of, of what is going to be expected of you, while still like somewhat being able to introduce somebody to the code with all the examples that, that are given. Yeah, so this kind of is the is a kind of project documentation, which is really nice to have in, in addition to, to function documentation. And there's also what always also is technical writing is what you do in emails, for example. You may want to do um, to write emails to your team um, or to, to co-workers about specific technological, technological solutions you found, or you do it in Slack, like you do a description of something in Slack, which some companies also use a document, as documentation. That also is technical writing, right? Yeah, and, and to a certain extent, and I don't want to go too far away from the topic, but like any writing... Is, is something you should take care of and, and where you can, you know, if you improve that, can make it easier to communicate. And, and I think that's, in the end, what is also the goal with technical writing. You want to communicate something and want to have a text that is understandable to most people or, you know, uh, the, the more, uh, a lot of people. You want to be able for people to understand it. Um, but I think something that's also important is to make it fair and to make it um, like non-judgmental. So some of the things, and, and I've seen this from time to time, uh, that slip through is like, hey, you simply do this. And although this probably makes sense while writing it, because, hey, you built this thing in a simple way, this is something tricky because somebody that reads this and might not understand it will feel like, hey, I'm a lesser person or I'm a lesser engineer because, hey, they say it's easy, but I don't get this. It would certainly be nice to have some sort of list of things to care for or care about when you write an article like that. Um, because as you say, this is, this is in many contexts important. And one is you also might want this to be persuasive. 
Um, here at work, uh, we have a system where if you if you want to have a change to the code base made a, a more general one, we can, you can create a design proposal here at work, for example, where you say, okay, this th this is something that I envision for the code base to be changed. And if you write something like that, like if you, which is basically a document of text where you try to persuade your coworkers to write code in a certain direction, for example, uh, to move in a certain direction, you want to be persuasive. You want to write a very nice document that explains clearly your idea. And if you fail to explain your idea clearly, even though your idea might be fantastic, it might not be get picked up so this is really important totally so if you let's say you're a developer and you want to um you want to improve there how do you do that like what would be your suggestions for somebody who knows that he might not first of all i mean start writing obviously it maybe you're not even writing like maybe you're not writing documentation maybe you're not adding comments to your doc, to your functions obviously start writing something but apart from that like to and actually to improve what do you think, Buzz? What what would be the right steps? You already said that people should care about not writing things like simply do this or simply do that. What else comes to mind? Um, I didn't want to go into like examples per se, um, but what you said, writing, start writing is a good thing. Start reading, start talking, because it's in the end, it's all about communication, and it's not just about writing. Um, start reviewing as well. Uh, it's the same as code, like writing code is very different from reading code is very different from reviewing code. Um, and it's the same from from technical writing to, to reviewing text. It's all about experience. Um, so definitely start, start doing something. Um, maybe ask your colleague that just wrote documentation like, hey, would you mind if I take a look at this? Or, hey, do you want to take a look at it together? And I think one of the things you mentioned before applies to many if not all people if you write something yourself it's much harder to see the mistakes uh, when you read it a second time compared to when somebody else reads it because you're already in a state where you know about the topic where you might make assumptions and you just jump over things and you might not see it even the third or fourth time so definitely i think here like pairing or like Again, working together with people um, and just picking up some experience wherever you can is, is a great start. Back when I was studying in university, um, we had to write these papers for various seminars. And um, I always ask a, uh, another student to um, if she would read my papers just so that um, because it's always nice to ask somebody else to get a different opinion. And at one point she came back to me and she was laughing really hard. And she said, okay, the funniest thing happened. Uh, there was this word. You used this word in your paper. So the, this was a German paper. So I can't really mention the word. Um, you used this word in your paper and I, I never heard it before. And I looked it up in the, um, in the dictionary and it didn't exist. And I wondered what kind of word is this? So, and so I entered into, entered into Google to figure out, is this a word that, that exists? And I got results, four of them, but they were all on your blog. So I had invented a word. I was using it on my blog. I was using it in there, but it didn't exist. It was a only an invention. And I would have written for another year, like for a couple of years, and used this word. But she pointed it out to me. I would have, could have never figured it out. So it's really helpful to ask other people. That's that's fascinating. I, I had a similar situation where uh, with a Dutch word again, um, or at least with a foreign word then, right? And I was convinced, convinced, convinced that it was X, right? And then somebody in Dutch class actually said, hey, it's Y. And it was like, no, yes, no. 
I, okay, I'm not sure at this point. I totally ever like forever understood it's it's X, um, but I will bet with bet with you and you know give you I don't know I think it was a Mars bar or whatever if you're right, and they were right, and I learned a new, like a word that I just misunderstood for forever, yeah. and it it made me feel great because I was like, hey, I want to learn this. Yeah, and I think that is another top like another tip is if there's any word you don't understand and you read somewhere, look it up immediately. What maybe people also don't know, the Mac comes with a nice application called Dictionary, uh, with, with a built-in dictionary, and you can actually add additional free dictionaries, really good dictionaries. Um, and so, like, looking up is sometimes only a right-click and just looking it up in the dictionary. So it's when you're on the Mac, it's really easy. Now, on iOS, it's not that easy, but um, on the Mac, it's really fantastic because it's built into the system. It's actually also built into the system on iOS. So... Uh, what you can do is you can just select a text and then look up in mm -hmm. the menu and that will show you the dictionary entry. Ah, okay. Um, another thing is, and this is what we were revolving around, um, it finds somebody to read your your text or your documentation and get feedback. Like, as we said, getting feedback is really, really useful. And by reading the feedback, you will, as we said, improve yourself and, and see what you maybe where you were not right and, and what can be improved and you will learn from that. And that's really useful. That's, so that's another thing. If you're in a team and you're writing documentation, ask your coworker if, can, if he can read your documentation and point out if there are maybe things he doesn't understand so you know how to express it better. And then there's actually one last thing I wanted to mention here. Um, and that helps me a lot. When I review text, if I get the chance to print it out, because what I always struggle with when reviewing text is there's two things you want to do. One is you want to make changes where it, like it makes sense, right? A typo or um, like a like a missing markdown element, and it just makes sense to make the change. Um, but what you also want to do is you want to discuss quite a few things. So you don't want to directly make a change, but just you know put a question mark there and say, hey, I should discuss this with the writer. And if you print something out, it's really, really, really nice to just take a pen, sit somewhere else as well, like go change like where you sit and, and get some fresh air or get, get a different point of, of view and just take the time to do it on paper. And I think that's what makes me super happy and also is, is one of the, the tips I would give to, to anybody doing reviewing of text. One thing that is a bit trickier when you're um, when you're not a native English speaker is finding the right expression sometimes and using the English language in the right way. And there's a very helpful book that is um, considered the the default on this. It's called The Elements of Style um, by William Strunk Jr. and it's actually free because it's it's a bit old already. Um, so you can download it for free. And it is by many people considered the default book for how to write properly and how to use the English language. So it, and it's also not a bit big book. So it's very small. So it's easy to, easy to use, um, and to read. Um, so if you intend to, to improve your English and just to know about the, the details on when to do what, this is also a very useful thing to do, uh, to look into. That's awesome. I didn't know about that. Oh, that will definitely download and read it now. If you then actually think this is a topic that interests you, or maybe you are already somebody who um, who is good at technical writing, um, there's something really cool. Google um, has started something called the Season of Docs. Um, and the description is, let's bring open source and technical writer communities together to the benefit of both. Together, we raise awareness of open source, of documentation, and of technical writing. 
And what they do is, so Google has this project Summer of Code, where you can participate as a developer on an open source project and write code for them. And you get paid by Google, basically, for doing that. And this is the same, but for technical writing. So if you're kind of good at technical writing, you can choose an open source project that's in dire need of technical documentation. And there are a lot. And you write documentation for them, technical documentation, and Google will pay that over the span of three months. Um, that's, it's really interesting. And I, I love this initiative by Google because we need oftentimes much better documentation for our projects. Computer stuff is hard and using it is even more difficult. So having good documentation is really important. That actually reminds me of one more thing, um, which is if you have documentation at work or in your open source project, um, make sure that it's really like make it as easy as possible for somebody to step in and make a small change because when it comes to documentation it's really really difficult to keep it up to date and any small thing uh, helps um, especially for example when you're onboarding uh, a new colleague and i've seen this this happen it's amazing to see like how many small things they find that are either outdated or a typo or um, something that is completely missing. And it's hugely valuable to like make those people aware and, and feel open and feel confident to, to make changes there. And the same goes for like any open source project or, or anything. Yeah. Um, and then for the Google Summer of Code, uh, there's also Swift there, right? So Swift is one of the major projects, I think, even in, in this year's Google Summer of Code, um, where you can also contribute to Swift and um, do that as, as part of the Google Summer of Code, which I think is also really cool. Yeah, if you if you want to do that, there's a um, there are threads on the Swift forums where you can pitch your idea, and basically basically the Swift community will then um, go back to you and uh, provide information on whether they like this as a project, and if, if and that includes the Swift team. So you can pitch your idea there of what you would like to improve and to do for Swift in. Um, in the Google Summer of Code and pitch it there. And if you get an okay, then actually you can go into a full-scale proposal and then for Google Summer of Code and then actually participate. And then Google will pay your writing code for Swift. Which is awesome. Yeah, which is awesome. We ask our readers and listeners um, how they find unused code in their code base, whether it's Objective-C or Swift code. Sometimes you don't entirely, you're not entirely sure if this class or this function or even this property is still in use. So how do you detect that, right? And we got a lot of answers. So um, one answer that we got was from Christian Skier, and it's kind of a low-tech but really nice answer. He, but basically what he does is um, he changes the signature of the suspected unused code and then he's just looking for compile time errors, which is nice because he basically just asks Swift, so does this code still exist by changing slightly what it looks like? You could, for example, imagine just changing the name of the function where you're not sure if it exists or the name of the class where you're not sure. So things like that. And then Swift will happily point out to you where it is still used. And if it's nowhere used anymore, then obviously you can just delete it. I mean, it's just a bit tricky when you're also using Objective-C because of Objective-C. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I think it's, I've heard people use this uh, during refactoring as well to see like, hey, if I change this, what will break or what do I need to, to change accordingly? 
We should probably briefly point out what the problem with Objective-C is for people that only use Swift. The problem with Objective-C is there, um, in theory, you can, let's say you have a class that's called my container, and during runtime, you can create a string out of characters even that spells my container. And then you can use the function NS class from string to actually convert this string into a working class. And then you can initialize that class into an instance. And you can all do that at runtime just based on a string you build yourself together. So even though it looks like my container is not being used anymore in your project because you're allocated nowhere, um, you actually it could happen at runtime somewhere. And then you're App would compile fine, but break at runtime. Exactly. Now, what you in order to solve this, what you should do is you should never create classes by with NS class from string at runtime. You should try not to do that. But um, maybe you're working on a huge code base, and somebody did it in the past, and you don't know. And if you're on a small code base, you probably don't need to look for unused code anyway. But that is good advice. You, we can also look for NS class from string and see where it is used, and maybe. Uh, refactor those or, or put that on some kind of backlog to to see if you can change those. Yeah. Um, so we got another answer from Louis Debert. Um, and he says, I regularly check for callers when I come across a function and I'm in doubt. So this is also a good, uh, a good thing, I think. And I, I've been using it for like quite a while as well, is figuring out what like uses this function that you're looking at. So if you think, hey, this function is um, unused or maybe it's only used in one place and I can get rid of it via like refactoring, is using the um, like the Xcode tooling to figure out if and who is calling this. Um, so apparently you can do this via the command click menu, which I didn't know. Um, you can also go to the top left corner and uh, of your file and click there. And that also gives an overview of callers and Swift interfaces, etc. Yeah, it shows you the callers and the callees. Um, I sometimes have the feeling that this function does not show me everything there is. I'm, I have to admit, I maybe I don't trust it enough because of a general distrust in Xcode that I have. So um, I, I still use it from time to time, but I'm I'm always a bit afraid whether it actually shows me everything. But then again, Luis uses it, so maybe my trust is completely unfounded, and I should just use it more and then feel start to trust Xcode. I've I've had the feeling that it works at least most of the time. I like am also not wanting to blindly believe it, but it seems to work decently. That's nice. Or maybe they also improved it. I I haven't really used it much in the last month. Um, Vinicius Vendramini writes I commonly set a bunch of breakpoints then run my test suit breakpoints that don't get hit are almost always dead code and I love this because it has a prerequisite and that is that you have a really really nice test suit which really good code coverage if you have that then the finding dead code is not actually a problem right Buzz? I was fascinated when I read this because this sounds too perfect to be true, um, but it is, it's true, right? If you have a rigorous uh, uh, testing suite, you don't even have to test everything um, because still there's a good chance that you hit a lot of code um, that you might not directly test, but still uh, hit. And if this is unused, like if this function you removed is not hit, then yeah, there's probably a high chance that it that it's actually unused. 
We have um, one more by Tom, and he writes, I use a serious IDE, app code, highlights unused code. So uh, that's also a nice solution. App code just does it for you, and you don't have to go the wild ways to figure out if code is unused. It will tell you when you look at the source code. Yeah, and I, I would love to check this out because it's it sounds weird that app code would be able to do this and not Xcode. I mean, sure, it might not be a feature in Xcode yet, but sounds like Xcode should be able to do something as well there. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of priorities. Um, I used AppCode many years ago, and I should really give it a try again. And then there's one more by uh, Fashnavi Naidu, and they say, I search for the function and variable name to check, and do this by regularly by keeping a ticket in Sprint labeled as tech depth for long-running apps. Funnily enough, that's actually what I do most of the time. I just search in Xcode for the name of the function and see where it pops up, which is not the best way for me because oftentimes you also find unit tests and so on. But uh, but it's it's still nice because then I know okay, if something is only used in test and nowhere else, it's still dead code. Exactly. And this is something we will be looking further into because this is actually one of the things uh, that we've been talking about at work to, to look into. And with our huge code base will probably help us a lot uh, to get rid of, of things that aren't used. Yeah. So, Bas, um, what is your pick for this episode? So, I found a project on GitHub um, by Emil Baer, and it's called Automatic App Landing Page. And it made me super happy because this used to be a feature, and I don't know what the name of the company was anymore, but it was something launch rocket related. Um, and they provided a free uh, service to like easily create an app template like app website template. And that company was bought by Google and Google then basically discontinued the whole service. And it looks like like Emil here has built a really cool uh, Jekyll-based um, tool to do something similar. And it has like dark mode and really easy to use pictures and device frames, etc. So that's that's something I, I want to try out and it looks really cool. That's cool. So if you want to make it big on the App Store with your own app, this is uh, a prerequisite that's already fulfilled. You can get the website right away and don't have to focus on that. That's nice. Um, my pick this time is a Mac app called conferences.digital and it has the tagline, watch the latest and greatest conference videos on your Mac. And I love this because what it does is there are so many iOS conferences now um, that provide their videos um, and you can watch them, but it's kind of tricky to keep an overview, to keep a tab on them. Some upload on YouTube, some upload on Vimeo, uh, some are on their website, and it's kind of tricky to figure out where's what. And you really, it's, it's kind of a mess, really. And this app basically bundles it all up. Conferences.digital is the best way to watch the latest and greatest videos from your favorite developer conferences for free on your Mac. Either search specifically for conferences, talks, speakers, or topics, or simply browse through the, through the catalog. You can, add, you can add talks to your watch list to save for later, favorite, or continue watching where you left off. It's really nice. I love it. It's a fantastic idea, and I'm glad it's there. And I, I yeah, I was about to ask, but you already answered. I really like being able to like compile some kind of backlog. Because at the moment, like without having an app, my backlog of talks to watch are like partially in a reading list, partially in notes, partially in reminders, partially in the WWDC app. So yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. So I think that's it for this episode. That's it. It was uh, a great chat, Bas. And uh, yeah. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.